0: So we had always wanted to go to Japan we always wanted to bike pack. And that was what we were going to do for our honeymoon. And like Scott had bought me this bikepacking Japan books. Like we just always wanted to go. Why is that? Um, Because I'm Japanese and he had raced in Japan. And we both just love Japan.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Shanti. Welcome back to the Out and Back podcast presented by Gaia GPS. This is episode 35 and we're so happy to have you back with us. Now, many of you who are listening to this podcast may have heard of Scott Jurek, the iconic ultra-runner who set the supported speed record on the Appalachian Trail in 2015. Well, we think it's worth mentioning that his wife, Jenny, is just as accomplished and incredible in her own right. She is also a runner, an avid climber, as well as an accomplished outdoor gear and apparel designer. And recently, Jenny and Scott went on a month-long self-supported bikepacking trip to Hokkaido, Japan with their kids. When they were both toddlers. So for today's show, Abby is back with us and she took some time to sit down with Jenny in the Jurex home in Boulder, Colorado to get the inside scoop on how they pulled off that really monumental feat. They're also going to get into how Jenny paved her own way in the outdoor industry. And finally, Jenny's going to dish out the inside scoop on what it was like basically single-handedly supporting Scott on his AT speed run. So lots of great stuff to hear about today from Jenny, but first and real quick before we get into it, We want to remind everyone that if you go to GaiaGPS.com slash podcast, you can get yourself 20% off on a premium membership with Gaia GPS, the gold standard of offline backcountry navigation tools. Me and some good friends were using Gaia this past weekend to help us find our way up Jacob's Ladder as we were doing a night climb up Lone Peak in the Wasatch Range. And the whole time we were doing great knowing Gaia was helping us stay safe and on track. So I highly recommend Gaia GPS to anybody who's planning on heading out into the backcountry. And if that happens to include you, make sure to hit up GaiaGPS.com slash podcast and pick up that premium membership at 20% off. And now, I toss it over to Abby, who is sitting down with the one and only Jenny Jurek.
2: Well, maybe we should set the scene here. So we're sitting in Evergreen and Raven's room. It is so (laughs) cozy.
0: Under the loft of the Top bunk is a little toddler bed.
2: Both kids have the sweetest toys, half of which you've made.
0: (laughs) Well, it's just tiny. It's a tiny room. It's not even like a legal bedroom.
2: Our house is like an 1890s miner's house. You were a designer at Patagonia. You're so, so talented From everything from creating outdoor gear and clothes to this beautiful doll that you made for Raven. (laughs) and all of the backpacking gear that you used on your trip in Japan. How did you get into design originally?
0: Well, I went to school at CU Boulder. So just up the street, I decided to go to Boulder, sight unseen, never been there before, just looked at the catalog. And I looked at the mountains and I was like, I want to go there. So I moved to Boulder when I was 17 and just I needed to get a job because I needed to get in-state tuition. And then I got a job working for the outdoor program at CU. And it was like this outdoor program through the rec center. And because I mm. worked there, it was a work study program. I could take whatever class for free. So I started taking, I was like, oh, intro to fly fishing, intro to rock climbing, intro, all these out, if there was an open space, I could take advantage of that. I took... The rock climbing, internal rock climbing, I loved it. And the instructor was like, hey, you're a natural. So for my 18th yes. birthday, he bought me a chalk bag. And this book, um, the Mountaineer's Guidebook, i still have it but your teacher was in love with you (laughs) i mean no we're still friends we're still friends but he was like very supportive and very encouraging like you should pursue this you should and coming from like the bay area i was more like a suburban urban kid my parents never took us skiing biking we never did anything outdoorsy my parents were very like blue collar they loved ball sports, baseball, like Bay Area sports teams. Those their jam. And so my sister and I never grew up doing anything outdoorsy. Then I you know went to Boulder and just
2: totally fell in love with it. So you didn't grow up outdoorsy, yet you were intrinsically drawn to the mountains out here, it sounds like. Why do you think that is? The aesthetics and like because my parents
0: loved Ball sports they would every year like pick okay we're gonna go to these baseball stadiums like every summer we would do like road trips to these stadiums and we'd go to seattle and like anaheim these kind of places on the west coast and i always loved seattle and the northwest Mm. and i just always loved seeing the mountains and and you know i think that's what it was when i saw the brochures for boulder i was like ooh, this place is pretty And also, I just wanted to get out, I think, to see a little bit more. So I started climbing. I just loved it here. And through that, I met this amazing community of climbers. And then I decided that I wanted to, like, pursue outdoor, the outdoor industry. And Mm -hmm. wasn't sure what my, what capacity it would be. So I just got a generic, I got an international business degree. And I thought, well, I could do, I could you know, work for a company with this degree because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, and then I moved to back to the Bay Area after I graduated school, and I was working in the financial district for I know for this oh. like brokerage firm, only because some of my other friends from school they got a jo- they got jobs in the financial district, and they're like, it's great, like living the high life. It was mm. like just. I don't know, it was good paying, you know, kind of cool job if you have a business degree. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll do that. They had a part, I just moved in with a friend of mine. um, And I hated it. I hated it. It just was not me. So I was just looking online in like the classifieds. And there was a job opening for this company called Moonstone. Mm -hmm. Moonstone Mountain Equipment. Old school listeners will go, oh yeah, Moonstone, I love that brand. Uh, that's where I got my feet wet, at Moonstone. And Doing I was, what? I was working in the warranty department. People would oh, be no. like, "I my um, Gore-Tex jacket leaks. But then I was constantly, like, talking to Gore-Tex all the time. And, mm-hmm. like, they'd send in their jackets, and I would see where every piece would, like, fail. You know? So it kind of, like, got me thinking about, like, all these the breaking points and like what's a good design and why these things end up being returned and then we would send boxes and boxes back to cortex of like great jackets and I always in my head was like I want this fabric and I want to wash it and Mm. because in all these jackets tell a story I wanted to do like the recrafted worn wear thing yeah like 20 years ago but I just never had the resources but I just um it just working for the warranty department sparked my whole interest in design.
2: Wow. And, so you really had an eye for it. You um, know, cuz that is not a direct path at all. True. Yeah, I guess I was really just interested
0: in it, I guess. Cuz then we had at a, at Moonstone there was a big open office. So the pattern makers, the designers, warranty, like we could all see each other oh, and I cool. was always wanting to see what the designers were doing and Um, And they were always interested too, they'd be like, oh, oh, they wanted to see the returns too. So it was Mm. like a really um, symbiotic kind of relationship where I'd get something and be like, hey, what do you think of this? And then they would change their designs. And yeah, so then Moonstone got purchased by a company in Seattle. I was the only person who was willing to move because I was single, no attachment to the Bay Area. So I started working for Moonstone in Seattle. And then I was bike commuting from from Seattle to Mercer Island, which was like a 10 mile ride each way. And that's I- That's badass, that's a oh, long commute. Thanks. I mean, and I just had like this junky old mountain bike. So I was bike commuting and I was stopped at a stoplight. And these other guys, rolled up next to me and they're like oh where are you going and I'm like Mercer Island and they were like whoa that's pretty far but I didn't have a car I didn't really know I was like well eh, yeah it's kind of far they worked for this company called Montrail then the next weekend I ran into them at a little 5k race in my neighborhood then we just started being friends and then they were like six months later they're like hey you should come work at Montrail because we need they needed a customer service rep. So I wor- I switched jobs, went to work at Montreal, and it was a really core group. Like that was when trail running was just like peak. The heart of like the Seattle ultra running scene was like happening. And I just was doing customer service again, like taking orders from stores and stuff, but also wanted to apprentice like with the designers. I was super interested. So one of the designers was like, hey, you can, I'll let you pick out like the shoelaces. And he let me just do like the little <laughs> little yep. things, you know? Yep. So then I decided to go back to school
2: for design. Was that a scary decision?
0: Um. Yeah, because I still needed to work. So I worked 30 hours at Montreal and then went to design school. In and the evening, or in like, the evening and during the day, but I was able to do some of the work at Montreal, like later after hours, like entering orders and stuff. I could do. It was kind of crazy. Like there was only two people who were still working in my design program. It was a great program. Then after that, I was when I started designing apparel, and I, at Montreal. Um. No, I actually went back to Moonstone, so I was hired as an assistant designer. It all like came around full circle. After a year, then I went to work at Outdoor Research. And then a year later, there was a job opening at Patagonia, which had always been like my dream.
2: Why is that my dream?
0: Because when I was in business school, every time we'd have to do like a case study or whatever, I always was like Patagonia, Yvonne Chouinard. I would always do like my studies and presentations on Patagonia because I just love their business model. I love how it was about giving back it was about making quality products that you know didn't just end up back in the landfill
2: and what were you designing when you got there
0: um i was designing the running back then it was called velocity which was trail running and nordic ski were you running at that point yeah because i started running when i started working at montreal Because I was new to Seattle, I just, like, would pop in these 5Ks. I never ran, like, ever in my life. That was kind of like a way to see the city and to meet Mm. people. And then I just, yeah, then when I started working at Montreal, I started running more. My heart is still in Seattle. I still feel like it's, like, my spirit city. When I moved to Ventura, I was like, I give myself two years max down in SoCal and then I'm moving back even though it was my dream job yeah I didn't love living in Ventura I was still I like was just 30 and single and Ventura was like you hung out with your coworkers all the time. They're all like really hot, like successful women, just like 80% women, which is great. But, you know, I was just like, hey, TikTok, TikTok, right. I'm not getting any younger here. Like, right. I can't like compete with all these surfers. You meet amazing people and like the best friends and stuff. But it was hard to everybody was like, oh, yeah, you have to import dating prospects. That kind of segues into Scott and I were always friends from Seattle. How did you meet him? Well, when I was working for Montreal, he was the Montreal ambassador, like poster child for Montreal. And I didn't know what ultra running was. I was like shocked that people ran around Lake Union, which was only like six miles. It just like blew my mind. And then they're like, oh no, we sponsor, we support like 100 mile races. And I was like, This is crazy. But then it just kind of normalizes a little bit. He had just set
2: the record at Western States. Western States, for people who don't know, is is like the biggest hundred mile race in America and arguably one of the biggest ones in the world too. Like, It's like the Super Bowl of ultra running, you could say.
0: We had all, the Seattle Trail Runners all would, would do like training runs on Sundays it was awesome. So I knew Scott. He was in my running scene and he was always like that weird, eclectic vegan. What were your first impressions? Oh my God. Well, his hair was like your hair. Like he's had like, <laughs> long exactly curly. Exactly. Long oh, curly no. in a pulled back ponytail, no bangs. Like exactly. <laughs> and he'd always just wear like jorts, like cut off shorts and running singlets. Oh, never no. had a car. Like always riding his bike. And. It was like sponsors, sponsored athletes were a new thing. He was kind of like tr- treading that space. He wasn't getting paid. He was just getting like reimbursed, you know, Back okay. then like the first five Western states, you know, he actually like created debt for himself. I thought oh, his no. credit cards like, oh, just, no. you know, well, there was no money. He was. Just doing it for the love. So then when he actually got a sponsorship with Brooks, it was like, oh, I'm not gonna just get my expenses paid, but I'm actually gonna get a little bit of money. And at this point,
2: what was your relationship with him like?
0: We were just friends, okay. and I, I was still at Montreal. I'm like, what, the guy left? You know, I was kind of like, how dare he? So I, that's how I knew Scott, through our running circles, and then through Montreal.
2: And then you went down to California. And then I went down
0: and moved to California. And he was like recently divorced, and I just broken up with my boyfriend. And Wyatt was like, "Come down to Vendor. There's so many hot girls here." Wait, who who he said did, this? You said I this. I said this to uh, Scott, oh. and I was like, "Let well, me show you." Because you know, he was like a brother to like we're just friends, you know, friends always always in the friend zone so
2: you wanted to set him up with yeah. one of your hot friends
0: yeah and I actually before I even moved to Ventura at my going away party at this big party I set him up with one of my climber friends <laughs> and that didn't end up like it didn't it didn't last it was like a good fling it was a good fling for both of them then he's like ah, it's didn't work out so I was in Ventura I'm like well come there's a million hot chicks down here come down here then he was gonna like volunteer at a race in Santa Barbara so he's like okay I'll come stay and then I remember you know he was always just that weird eclectic vegan guy in our running circle (laughs) but when he was like he came to pick me up at Patagonia the the mailroom guy was like do you see who's sitting outside and I was like yeah, that's my friend Scott. And he was like, Oh my god. He just like fanned out. And I was like, Oh, I guess outside of Seattle he's a big deal ish. So he comes down to California. Comes down to California, stays in my tiny apartment. Then I had no idea he was so into food. He was such a good cook. He mm. starts like make packing me lunches, making me smoothies, like and I was like, Oh, hey, I mean feel free to stay as long as you want (laughs) and then after a while it just then my friend Chrissy came down because she was an ambassador and she was like in town for something and she was like he's being so weird she because you know Um. she knew Scott too she's like he's being so weird there was it was just uh, I know it was a little bit awkward obvious so then
2: because he was really into you. I guess. You didn't yeah. see it. He's making yeah. you all these delicious things to eat, and you're yeah. just like, okay. great. Yeah, thanks. I'm busy. Like, really appreciate, appreciate
0: it. <laughs> Here's some, yeah. But then, Yeah, but then I was like, oh, I guess, I guess I'll just keep you around. Then he just kept coming back, and then eventually, like, never left. Oh. So he had his apartment in Seattle, but he was basically living in Ventura with me. Then we decided... It wasn't a great place for him to train a bunch. So he was still wanting to do some things. And then I had a work trip to Boulder and he'd never been to Boulder because he was so like, "Ooh, Boulder, so snobby. That's where all like the rich athletes go. (laughs) That's an
2: oxymoron? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) But like the triathletes, you know, Uh, it was like a really like cycling town.
2: Right. Um. Lots of Lycra.
0: Yeah. So he just had this idea in his head. And he was already 35, and he'd never been. So I'm like, come with, because I have a place. And then Scott was like, oh, I like this place. So then we just wow. decided to move here. And I had to quit my job, my dream job. What was that decision like? Um, It was sad, but outside of the job, my quality of life wasn't that great. You know, because I don't really thrive in beach, small beach town. I wanted to be in like small mountain town. Yeah. But I loved, I it was so hard because it's so hard to get a job there. Uh-huh. Loved every second of it, but I guess I just felt like it was time to move on. Anyway, I was there for three years. Then I went freelance. Decided that we should Maybe like get married. I mean, well, we never wanted to get, (laughs) never really wanted to get married, but I was like. Why is that? Because, you know, when when you travel in Europe, we'd both travel a lot to Europe. You just, they are just couples that don't really get married.
2: Right. The social construction is so different. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it was never like that important to me. But then we bought a house and we were like going to start maybe having kids or thinking about it. So I'm like, we should just get married just for like the ease of everything. So we got married and then we wanted to start a family. And I was, I had just turned 36. So I was like, hey, but we gotta, if we wanna do this, we we gotta do it. Uh. it was just so like
2: stressful, yeah, you know? and then what, what how did Scott feel about that he
0: was just like no no no. we have to like have a house we I still have some things to do like we he wanted in the, to running be in yeah, the running world in the running world but also financially he was just like okay. I still I still want to you know he just published his first book eat and yeah. run yeah. and he just felt like we weren't ready yet and I was like it's doesn't matter like Like now or never basically i don't know why i just always felt like uh 36 you know they say after 35 is your numbers like decline rapidly well that's when
2: you become a geriatric pregnancy right Uh right.
0: advanced maternal age they like stamp A on all your paperwork um so i was a little bit paranoid about it and then i for good reason like we couldn't get pregnant for the longest time do you think that had something to do with your age? Um, I think no, because I had a ton of eggs. Huh. Um, I think it was just one of those mysteries. It was an unexplained infertility,
2: which is really common. Yeah, right?
0: like even young people have that. You know, young people have no idea why they can't get pregnant. Like,
2: and that's stressful when you so when stressful. you feel like your biological clock is yeah, ticking, right?
0: And.
2: Oh, man.
0: When I felt like I had enough, like, solid long-term relationships to be like, no, this is the one, this is the person I want to have kids with. Yeah. You know, like, I felt totally grounded and sure about this. And then it wasn't working. So it was kind
2: of frustrating to yeah, my OP. Yeah. And yeah. meanwhile, Scott <clears throat> is still racing a lot. I mean, doing- at
0: that point, he's kind of not, he'd, like, take... Tapered off. His mother passed away. He, like, oh, no. he just had been racing for so long at that point and, like, won a bunch of things. He, the fire was already, like, dwindling, you know, just yep. he wanted to, like, move on with his life, too. He wanted to have family to, like, set some roots down in Boulder,
2: like, remodel this house, like, just be, like, a little, have a little domestic life. And, but meanwhile, something in the universe is not letting you do that to the quite the degree right. that you want.
0: We eventually we started going through like fertility treatment and that in itself is such I like can takes so much life energy and yeah. so much um it's just like financial and life energy just it really taps all of your resources and we uh. then he kind of lost all motivation for training and just wanted to like spend time with me, always wanted to run with me and he was just like always supportive like if I was down with I had my first miscarriage was an ectopic rupture Oh, and I couldn't run then he he didn't want to run. He like was always standing in solidarity with me like just super supportive I personally saw him struggling with like I knew emotionally he wanted to just to walk away from racing completely. But, like, yeah. if it was ego or if it was, like, his his competitive nature, he couldn't let it go fully. Yeah. So he kept yeah. being, like, oh, no, I'm going to win level. Oh, no, I'm going to train for that. And I'd be, like, sure doesn't look like it when you're, like, making pancakes every weekend for me. Like, he would never go out and train. I'm just, like, he would do anything but train. So, uh, but... I, you know, cut him slack, like give the guy some credit. It's got to be super hard to go from like yeah. winning all the races to then just not. Yeah. You know, I think a large part of that was his identity. and Yeah. Um, but he was so ready to move
2: on from that. He just couldn't quite do it. So is that, well, I mean... It was right around this time that you both decided to go to the AT, right?
0: Yeah. Well, it was like, he was like, oh, I'm going to do Leadville. I'm going to, I want to break the course record, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. Cause he wasn't really training that hard for it. But then, <laughs> and then I write about it in our book, North, because it was, It was hard for me. And I don't want to be like, it was embarrassing because he did well. But when you're going from winning Western States year after year after year. Any race he entered, he won. Then to be like, to show up and still feel like this pressure. He literally was just like walking it in at the end. I was kind of embarrassed for him a little bit. Quit while you're ahead, you know, walk away gracefully. But at the same time, I don't know what it's like to be him. I don't know what it's like to have that that kind of pressure and stuff on him so I um, but after that I was like I'm not doing this anymore and he knew it too deep down he knew it all along too and he and I think it was his idea when we were hiking we were just like through hiking the PCT we started it down at Campo and the border oh, wow. and we were hiking this and then we just did just you like, do the whole PCT? No we just started we sectioned it we've only done the first 220 miles but we went for like five days, and then we went back where we ended the last yeah. time. The next year we went back, and then that was like right after I had my ectopic, and he was just like, "I want. I think I want to do the, at." And I was again <laughs> like, "Why? There's no reason. Like this is so weird. Like, are you trying? What What are you trying to prove here? What?" We have no connection to the AT. Now, of course, he loves the AT. The right. AT is like a part of us. Right. But back then, it seemed so out of left field. And he, huh. his whole thing was, we needed a fresh start. We needed to get away from all the fertility, the disappointment, the scene in Boulder, yep. the pressure, all this stuff. And and I think that's what, why so many people go to the AT, for those same mm. reasons, to escape, to like... Mm. restart you know they're just change the perspectives a little bit and did he express that to you? no okay. he was like I think I want to go do the AT or, and I was I and I didn't know what FKTs were I had no idea about through hiking or anything like that like I so I just felt like okay it's another thing it's going to talk about but then He, we actually did it you know we actually were driving out there and we're doing it and so then it became real
2: what was your mindset as you were driving out there
0: it was the same frustration because I was like he didn't train he didn't like basically do all the homework you know people like Carl Metzler Carl Metzler Speedcoat. he like studies it he recons it he drives the roads he like figures calculates that's his baby. But, you know, he grew up in New Hampshire. Like, I get it. He's, like, so connected to it. And yeah. other people have through-hiked it and then gone for records and stuff. And right. We were just kind of... Just gonna on-site it. And I felt like...
2: And you were the crew.
0: And I was a crew. And I felt like, this is silly. Again, this is a Leadville. This is a longer version of Leadville. <laughs>
2: that involves a lot of effort <laughs> on lot. your part. you know.
0: But, like... <laughs> same amount of running around you know me driving around staying up all night like but just for six weeks so did you just say yes i also wanted to get out of boulder we just had our second miscarriage and i'm super open so all my friends were always like hey how's it going everybody knew what process i was in like how'd the egg retrieval go how'd this go and it just was like I need to get out of here for a second. I was Adam. constantly getting like blood tests and phone, you know, doctor's appointments, so I wanted to get out too. And he kept telling me he was. To, it was a trip that we were going to do together. And like some at the beginning, it was like I got to run with him a lot, but then towards the end I didn't.
2: But that was fine. So he starts running the AT, and you're like, okay, this probably isn't going to go very well. Maybe he'll quit soon. Who knows? How quickly did that perspective shift? Well,
0: again, I didn't know much about the AT. This was something that we were doing on our own. He hadn't, like, didn't have a budget, didn't have sponsorship. We bought just like a shell van for ourselves. We did it all out of our own pocket because he didn't want any obligations. There was like no pressure in that sense. So he didn't say anything until like the day before he posted a picture of a white blaze. And I had no idea, but all of a sudden people were like, oh my gosh, Scott's gonna attempt the the AT. And I just had (laughs) no idea. It was so popular and had such a huge following and just but also a whole like set of rules not rules okay not but certain people don't you know it's sacred right. to a lot of people a lot of right. hikers so so like not cool to be running it not cool to be you know to because people it's it's more of like a religious kind of
2: take um, your walk time.
0: about yeah and i totally see that i totally get that and if you had seen the pace that Scott was going, he wasn't, bully. it's not like he blazed by, you know, he was just out on his feet longer. So, um, but anyway, I, I just was like thrown into the world of the AT. And I very quickly realized that it was something so different and so many eyes were on him and just making mm-hmm. sure he didn't do this. It was definitely, a, a learning experience for me. It was to this day, like one of the best things we've ever done together.
2: When along the journey were you, did you think to yourself, okay, maybe Scott wasn't totally out of his mind when he decided to do this. I think he's actually going to finish, if not finish really fast.
0: Oh, I mean, at the beginning, I was like oh you got this like okay. you know, I, the, you like, know. The first 10 to, yeah and I, but then all of a sudden like his shins hurt, his knee his knee he couldn't run downhill and i'm like a terrible downhill i'm way better uphill but i was like always waiting for him like oh i was way faster than him on the downhills and i'm like oh so very quickly within the first two weeks i was like oh this is not good this is embarrassing another leadville like walk it in kind of situation And he, but he just stuck it out. And then I never, ever, after he fell so far behind, um, I never was like, you got this. I was always like, this is so, gonna be so close. Having that record was enough, was like so strong a pull to keep him going was like something to like shoot for, but it wasn't like the only reason. So that's why he just kept going, even though- He may or may not have gotten it. We were still out there for other reasons. And
2: which is probably so important.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, and you can't go on the A T and do the you know, through hike without coming out like change with a new perspective on life. Like you definitely there's so much transformation that happens over the two thousand miles. Like it's an amazing trail. So I understand like the deep Rev- revere that everybody has for it and like the respect that yeah. people want on the AT. I was like totally. I get it I get it. now. What's so amazing about the AT like in contrast to the PCT mm-hmm. or another trail is that it goes through so many trail towns and so many road crossings that you do feel a part of like different communities and the one thing that he didn't get was he didn't get The camaraderie with the through hikers but he got you know all the people who came out it was like a different type of community that he we i mean we met like some of our best friends now on the trail he still feels like a proud you know class of 2015
2: it's still a badge of honor to have met them when he did and um you, I love how you get into it in the book about how Scott was just, like, so chatty with everyone he saw <laughs> it And you were just like, Scott, you need to go. Stop chatting. I mean, and that's just him. He's just so,
0: I was partly, I'm like, you're just procrastinating. You know, it was, like, a good distraction, distraction right. a good reason for him to, like, stop and take a break. Right, But also, that's just the way
2: he is totally i mean i know that having gone to the boston marathon with you two where scott is so nice and talks to everyone he sees (laughs) and that midwestern kindness totally i would imagine most people listening to this have read your book but if they haven't one of my favorite books uh, ever in any no no, seriously i love it so much it is riveting i could (laughs) not put it down and your perspective is incredible i personally think Crewing sounds harder in many, many ways than actually just doing the trail itself. You're out there driving in the middle of the night with no cell phone service, like trying to find the trailhead. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, you grew up like in New Hampshire. You know, it's people
0: like some of the comments people were like, oh, he's trying to set the AT is like a highway. Like it's not. It's like so rugged and so remote. Like the trail at some point, it's just like a faint ribbon, you know, through a parting of trees. Like it is so delicate. Yeah. um, And for me, I, you know, I'm Asian and we were like the photographer who, or friend of Scott's, who was down with us at the beginning too. We're both brown. And so when I write the book, I talk about our experience down in the South. Mm. And a lot of the critiques that are written are like oh Jenny talks about the AT using old stereotypes of the south she uses she acted like she expected the boogeyman to come out and somebody was like I have I grew up in the Smokies and I have two Asian friends and they've never felt threatened and I jeez I know i you know I there's a lot of that kind of and then, you know, the shooting happens in Atlanta, which is yeah. you know, not far from the AT. Yeah. And I wasn't even talking about Atlanta. I was like deep in the woods in these like, not even trailheads, but like road, dirt, road, logging road crossings. I'm not even close to like a gas station. And I felt scared. And I feel like now it's okay to talk about, yeah. i did feel scared you know now i feel like a little more validated and now i i want to be like oh yeah are you gonna come at me with those comments now because i wasn't i wasn't using like old deliverance um like references or like i i did see confederate flags like in cars and gas stations like and Louis Escobar, we, he was just out here. He was like, oh, yeah. Remember, we went to that one gas station and people were like, look at that China lady. And like, Whoa. I totally forgot about that. I'm like, yeah, thank you. Because I sometimes I'm like, did I exaggerate?
2: I didn't. Well, that's so much of the problem, though. You were being gaslighted. I know, pretty much. People trying to make your fears invalid. Right. When they're your real lived experience. So
0: yeah, some of that was a little bit hard, but once we got out of the South and, you know, just a little more like populated areas too, there was always way more people there, way more. I was never like alone. When
2: at the beginning I was alone a lot, so. That'd be really scary. Even in Heather Anderson's book, she talks about at one trail crossing, she sees a, a bunch of men and she was very scared. For her safety and she like lay down flat on the trail because yeah, she right. could see the car lights and she was just trying to hide because she was afraid of my what might happen you finish the at okay. and then you get
0: pregnant oh, yeah. yeah so we finished the at july 12th my birthday and then we did another round of ivf and so that it wasn't like his total just natural surprise baby but we did it. we had done two previous rounds and they weren't successful and then yeah we did one and I got pregnant with Raven so I felt like we got we like cleansed ourselves you know you truly got is, from the AT yeah we,
2: what you were seeking yeah
0: we did like our whole forest bathing my room my womb was just so like so ready so got pregnant with Raven and then as they say it happens just like out of nowhere I got pregnant with Evs, like surprise miracle baby.
2: When Raven was Raven, how old?
0: She had just turned one. She was literally, oh my was gosh. Like, she just turned one. I had, I was nursing Raven the whole time. It was not even on my radar that we could be pregnant because we were right. infertile for like four years. So I was like, this is weird. Peed on a stick, pregnant. I never ever, I, Peed on a million sticks, never yeah. got like a positive. Wow. Oh my, oh my gosh. So that's why they're so close together because it was just like a Maybe. miracle baby. But it was good because I was old. So it was like now or never.
2: Old in quotes. Old it was.
0: It was 39 when I had
2: Raven, 41 with Evergreen. So Evergreen is born when Raven's under the age of two. Mm-hmm. So I had two under two. What was that like?
0: I mean honestly it was like the lowest part of our whole relationship like i would take leadville the at everything it seems like nothing compared to having these two little ones at home because going like no sleep have they were too, both like non both in diapers like it just wasn't it's a crazy. lot for us and yeah. we um don't have family nearby So I had two children under two, and then Raven just turned three. And we were like, let's go somewhere before we have to start paying for four Mm -hmm. plane tickets. You know, because once they turn two, you have to buy them a plane ticket. And they're no longer like a lap child. So we had always wanted to go to Japan. We always wanted to bike pack, and that was what we were going to do for our honeymoon. And, like, Scott had bought me this bikepacking Japan books, like when I was still living in Ventura, we just always wanted to go. Why is that? Um, cause I'm Japanese and he had raced in Japan and we both just love Japan and he, he's more Japanese than me. He like knows <laughs> all the food. He knows the culture. He knows it way more than me. So he's kind of not a certified Japanophile, but pretty close. Do you still have any family in Japan? Um, no. No, they all came over to California a long time ago. I'm actually fourth generation. But we decided to go when Raven had just turned three and Evs was still one. And, and you decided to bike pack. Bike
2: pack, yeah. Why on earth did you think it would be a good idea to go bike packing with two very small children in a foreign country? Because
0: we our gluttons for pain don't like elective (laughs) suffering is like we're pretty good at that and sleep depression. we're like we we want to be the parents that don't slow down that kids don't you know we're not going to change our lifestyle because of kids which is like so not true it's like so idealistic but we (laughs) wanted to keep we were we just wanted to keep fighting for that belief so we're like okay this is something we wanted to do let's just do it and see how it goes. And we felt like this is a good time. They're still little, they both fit in the trailer. They fit on the seats, you know, on the, yeah. so.
2: Like the little trailer you hook up to the back end yeah, of your Yeah, a
0: little, little like Thule bike trailer. yeah, And then you can put gear in that too. And then we had these seats. We each had a seat on our bike. So they could choose to sit up and see everything or sit in the trailer. If it was rainy or if it was, like, too hot or if they were tired. Another thing is Forrest Woodward. Do you know Yes. What I mean? He is his brother
2: Canyon next oh, weekend at no Cruel way. Jewel.
0: Oh, cool. <laughs> well, Forrest, speaking of his family, Forrest has sent Scott a copy of his dad's book.
2: Oh, okay. What's... And his
0: dad's book is called You Took the Kids Where? Oh, and okay. when I was pregnant with Evs, that's the only child rearing pregnancy type book that Scott read was um and he was so inspired because they bike packed in Oregon (laughs) so we were like okay let's read this book this is what they did we can do this too and it was like since we're going all the way over to Japan we may as well stay for a month
2: okay you are a runner and a climber Scott is a runner did you have any biking experience before this? Like- I
0: mean, I remember I bike commuted in Seattle. Oh, of course. I just, I just of course. I always bike commuted, but I never bike packed. and I never, psych, like I never raced bikes, or I would never. Oh, Saturday I'm gonna go for a long ride. Right. That's not what I did because I don't. I'm always scared of like downhills and car accidents. I'm not like a real
2: road cyclist. So did you just think you wouldn't encounter well, everybody says in Japan? that
0: <laughs> when we went, we were in Hokkaido, which is like northern, like w- not Tokyo. Like, OK, so we were in Hokkaido and then everybody says there's great bike lanes and people mm. drive slower. It's like not nobody's like, well, less and less distracted right. in Japan so okay. when they're driving. So people make it sound like it's kind of a bike touring paradise and okay. then every do you know what an onsen is is
2: public, that like the spa yeah the it's like a
0: public bathhouse. the japanese bath bathing bathing houses with like it's like a hot spring a natural oh hot spring gosh. but they're everywhere so wherever there was like a campsite there was always an onsen like 3k or less away from Whoa. these camping spots so there's a lot of bike packing guides, and they're like, camp here, go to this onsen, camp here. So we just kind of plotted our route based on
2: where the onsen were. The onsen's
0: were. Yeah, and like my tiny little kids love the onsen; they just they always want to go back.
2: So, so you decide to go, you you plan out this route. You also made these amazing frame bags for your bikes and the flags, like to be visible. <laughs> beautiful patches you could start a bike pack uh, like pack company if you wanted to (laughs)
0: oh thanks Um, well we had we had this awesome opportunity with this company called Priority Bikes okay and they we wanted a priority because they make these bikes with the pinion internal hub I'm not a real Mm. bike person so I'm not sure but we wanted like no maintenance like I didn't want to break a chain or like have some kind of bike issue right. in the middle of nowhere. So, with two kids, small kids. Yeah, right. So these had the... Internal um, hub. The internal hub with that... It's not a chain. Oh, uh, bell a bell drive. Bell drive, yeah. Sorry that you're more a bike person. <laughs> um. So, yeah, Scott was like, we got to get these bikes. And yes. they were amazing because they're just like workhorses. And we put the racks on and the trailer and it was awesome. Um. So... We had the right bikes, and then I made a lot of the gear we needed. Tiny sleeping bags for the (gasps) tiny little ones. Oh my god! So I like cut up and cut up a regular size sleeping bag and made two little sleeping bags out of it. And then I made Evs had just started walking, so I made um a really lightweight baby carrier Mm. for him, and then just a lot of little things. I made all of our frame bags because I love
2: doing that stuff. So that was super fun for me. So then you get there. You have your amazing setup. And what was like a typical day like?
0: Well, we started in Sapporo. That's the hub in Hokkaido. And then we immediately like headed to the coast and we wanted Mm. to go around this peninsula. And it was super hot. It was like a super heat wave. Probably humid too. So humid. And we weren't really expecting this, but there's so many tunnels. Oh. And so we'd have to ride, and there's like no sidewalk, there's so no scary. bike lane. So we're always like going through these long tunnels um, with the kids like attached. And it was so nerve wracking at first, but then we got a little bit used to it, but there was like a ton there was a 5K tunnel. Oh, wow. I know, oh. so scary, buses, yeah. loud motorcycles. Oh. The kids slept through the tunnels. Meanwhile, I was like <laughs> so freaking out. But yeah. We would always stop at the gas stations. They're like 7 All those, they're not like the ones in America. They have like great onigiris, noodle bowls, like soy milk. Just all kinds of, there were corn on the cob, all these like yummy fresh food, not maybe not like the best quality, but it was so good. So we yeah. definitely just lived off of gas station food and like instant noodles and camp stuff. Cause we had a little stove and we would, we would generally ride like 30 miles a day. So we would ride in the morning, find like gas, like get food at a grocery store, little gas station, find a park. Let them run around and play, oh. ride some more, get to the campsite, set up, let them run around and play some more. Then ride, we'd like, set, leave our gear, and then we'd ride to that one Oh, And then we would always, you could eat, sometimes they had little restaurants there, so the kids would fall asleep on a little tatami mat, like, oh, they're all clean. And we would eat dinner, and then we would have to load them back in the trailer. They slept amazing. They loved we would camp at a new spot every night and they loved it. Wow. And that was like the whole point was just to show them their hair meet other people um and you know an experience like rural Japan. And now to this day, they're obsessed with Japan. They can't yes. wait. They always tell people, we're moving to Japan. And we ended our biking trip. And we did like a couple of days in Niseko where Mount Yote and Japao, all that. You know, all, all the good skiing. Yeah, all the good skiing. goes. But it was summertime. But still, we, we kind of ended there. And that's where we want to
2: go back there. To go ski. To ski. The kids yeah. How does that make you feel as, like, growing up, You've told me before that you weren't necessarily as proud of your Japanese yeah. heritage right. as as the kids are. How does that make you feel to see them so excited?
0: Um, it's definitely, it's interesting because, you know, I grew up in like a suburban, like mostly white kind of suburb. And I was I always just wanted to blend in like mm. I didn't wasn't proud of my Japanese heritage I was embarrassed like whenever we went to the Asian stores like god you know oh. what I mean and like my parents eat. just it wasn't something I was like really proud of because I just wanted to fit in and so now like we live also in a super white town Boulder it's not very diverse and my kids are Asian but they love it they yes. like and so for me it's like it's definitely a proud like I feel proud of them because they're well and they're little so who knows it might change later but they're really more proud of their heritage than I was and and now now that I'm older I definitely love it but um but growing up it was something I was always just trying to keep on the down low and never really wanted to get this talk about
2: it I can relate to that with my Jewish heritage. It's like, I just want to fit in with yeah, my kids who totally. just go to church. And now it's like, this is so cool. Totally. Like the history and the culture and the traditions of like, there's just so much history is passed on through these cultures. It's so fun.
0: Totally. So I feel like as a mom, you know, I'm trying to like make corrections. I didn't grow up in the outdoors. I didn't grow up in nature. I didn't grow up like super proud of my heritage, but like mm. to see my kids, Flourish
2: in the outdoors and
0: love their Asian heritage. It feels rewarding and like satisfying a little bit.
2: How hard was it? Like realistically, were the kids like just zonked on the bikes all day, or were they like, "Mom, I want to get off"? (laughs) I mean, you know, now when
0: we look back and look at it, I'm like, "Oh, that was so fun." But like in it day to day, it was so much work. It was so much work for Scott and I because they just, they, I mean, they're still fighting. You know, they mm. they weren't like best. Now they're like much more best friends and like kind of on equal ground. But they were still just trying to like fight. I was still nursing Evs, oh, and he wow. was still in diapers. Raven was potty trained, oh. but. He was a new worker. It was just so much work. But it was, we're glad we did it because we got, we had this amazing experience. What would you do differently? Um, that's a good question. I feel like, I feel like we did, I think we did it right. Like, I I don't feel like, I think we just wouldn't go. Or we (laughs) would incorporate more, like, days in the city more like hotel mm. days like we didn't make any reservations we just were like let's try to get to this spot let's try yeah but I maybe would have like planned in some more like comfort okay yeah. and yeah. less um camping all the
2: time especially like, with a baby with, in diapers yeah, and diapers totally. yeah but at least you had the onsen. like you got to get yeah. Clean. We go to clean
0: yeah that was amazing and so luxurious and Evans was in diapers, but we used reusable. We were always using reusable diapers okay. for both of our kids.
2: So, how did that so work?
0: So, we didn't, it's not like I had to carry like a giant thing of disposable diapers. Right. Um, but you just go to the water? I just brought five, um, Well, we bought this like Sea to Summit packable little like bucket thing. Okay. And then I would go to the gas station, fill it up with water. We had like Dr. Bronner's. Oh. And I would just hand wash, <gasps> and then we would tie him on onto the outside of the tray of the jogger, oh. and they would just dry, like flap in the wind as we would go. But we only brought five.
2: Oh my god! Di-
0: like five diapers, and then some- you
2: go through a couple a day. I'm assuming. The
0: dirt, yeah. And you only have to wash like the liner, like the okay. little fleecy liner thing. Okay. And then sometimes if he had just gone poop, then we put him in this little. Like a speedo, ah, uh, smart. And if he peed, it just like, you know, he, yeah, he would just like.
2: That's not a big deal. Still, yeah, just right.
0: So wow. that was that was wow. good. I felt like that was a a good thing for us because we weren't constantly buying diapers. I was nursing Ev still, so that is always such a comfort. Like whenever mm. he was upset or.
2: If oh okay.
0: He could always just yeah. give him some milk, and yeah. he was happy.
2: I would really like to talk about your newest endeavor.
0: Oh, okay. Right. So we go to Japan. I made all this stuff because we basically lived on our bikes. Like we carried everything we needed on our bikes for a month. And it really makes you realize, one, kids don't need much. They just need like food and love. And That's that's really, that's it.
2: So... Um, as opposed to like all the toys, toys and, things. and the,
0: thing, the bouncy things you know all yeah. the these distractions like they are so happy just like digging in the dirt and sitting in the sand so that was kind of like a big revelation for us and then also I made all the stuff and I had like posted about it and then people were really interested about it but so I know that there are other like minded families people who want to do this stuff so I decided that I was going to start a business and make some gear for active families with small children. Because Mm. like I said earlier, Scott and I were really fighting to keep our identities Mm. while we had small kids. We didn't want to like change and completely be those parents that like don't do anything anymore now that they have kids. So I want to like empower families to keep doing that. Yes. yay. Love so it. yeah, thank you. So I'm starting with um, a couple of products. Um, what are you calling your business? Oh, it's called Always Up, which is oh. what my last name Yuhisa, my Japanese last name, means translated in English. It's perpetually rising or always up.
2: That is so beautiful. Uh, thank you.
0: Which. I didn't really know because growing up, I like hated my last name. I was like, oh, you used to like every day, you know, roll call. I would like cringe. And I couldn't wait to change my last name. So as soon as we got married, I'm like, change, change, get rid of it. Bye. I'm a jerk now. I treated perpetually writing <laughs> for George. That's just like how traumatic growing up was with Aww. the different last name. A different like, sounding. Different sound. Yeah. I was just like, ugh. So can you tell us what are you coming up yeah, with? Yeah, well, so it's going to launch. I keep like dragging my feet because it's mm. been hard starting a business during a pandemic with two kids at home. Really?
2: It time. sounds so easy. I know.
0: I'm oh um, like committing to it all, but I am starting with a maternity support belt. So when I ran through my both pregnancies and it just... You know, it's kind of, they sort of tell you, oh, don't get your heart rate up over huh. 140 beats per minute. There's all this, okay. like, old school kind of, like, yeah. not taboo, but just, like, it's not really supported or encouraged to keep running. But huh. women have been running through pregnancies, like, forever. You yeah. know, like, there's old issues of runner's world with like pregnant ladies running marathons and totally and i and i did in my ob here in boulder she's a runner and she's like oh yeah though you need to keep running like amazing um you know staying in shape helps with labor and everything so right i'm a real advocate of running while pregnant and the one thing that happens is that the weight of the baby just presses on your bladder Mm. so just to it takes up a little bit of pressure takes a little bit of oh that's pressure. why you wear a belt
2: yeah to relieve the pressure, the pressure on, your bladder. on your
0: bladder and when oh i didn't realize like that. to take the bounce take some of the balance like okay bouncing on your body. and then also to help with like your pet posture and i had mm. a little like sciatic pain in the back oh, oof. um there's a okay. lot of things that happen but early oh. on a lot of people stop running early on in their pregnancy because it becomes uncomfortable yeah. so i'm hoping to prolong the running days while you are pregnant. And then after postpartum, when you're coming back to running, you still you wanna like hold everything's all stretched out. <laughs> like yeah. you wanna like hold it, snug it up. Yeah. So the belt is good for pregnancy and postpartum. There are a lot of belts uh support belts out there, but yeah. none specific for running and for our needs. So cool. Mine is like a really sporty runner specific niche. <laughs> it's a real niche, but you know, it's for any act- walkers, yoga, like whatever, yeah. just to help make it make pregnancy a little more comfortable to be active.
2: So cool. Um,
0: so that, and then some accessories like a sporty diaper bag. Nice.
2: And, um You designed the coolest and packs
0: a, and like a little travel organizer for. Van life or for on a plane. Oh, it's just a little like essential gear. I
2: Storage. will be buying one of those too.
0: Okay. Well, not wait. It's coming out, I think, at the end of this summer. Awesome. Yeah. Stay tuned.
2: Okay. Wonderful. Peace. Well, thanks. Yeah. And thank you so much, Jenny, oh, for you're coming welcome, on Andy. the pod.
0: Thank you for coming over. Thanks for having me. This oh, is
2: great. This is so fun.
1: Thanks so much, Jenny and Abby. We'll make sure to link to Jenny's new business always up in our show notes. Also, check out the show notes to pick up a copy of the book that inspired the Jureks' backpacking trip, fittingly called You Took the Kids Where? Again, we'll have links to this in our show notes, which you can find by going to blog.gaiagps.com. And finally, for Jenny, make sure to follow her on Instagram so you can get a glimpse into the life of the Jurek family at Jureks on the run. And while on Instagram, don't forget to also visit at outandbackpodcast and and give us a follow. Then make sure to swing over to Apple Podcasts and give us a nice five-star review if you like today's show. And then finally, make sure to head on over to gaiagpscom slash podcast to get a 20% discount on a premium membership with Gaia GPS, the best all-in-one backcountry offline navigation tool. This is Shanti. Thanks so much for stopping by, everyone. And we'll see you next time on the Out and Back Podcast presented by Gaia GPS. Bye-bye oh, mm-hmm. you.